0: Today's episode is brought to you by us, the Locations Unknown podcast. If you enjoy listening to the content we create and want to help the show, consider becoming a Patreon supporter of Locations Unknown. For as little as $1 a month, you'll get access to additional Patreon-only episodes, free Locations Unknown bumper sticker, available after three months of support, and access to our members-only Discord server, which Joe and I promise to be more active on. Higher levels of support come with even cooler swag and cooling a free coffee mug and baseball hat. That's not all. From time to time, we also host live supporter-only Zoom calls where no topic is off limits. We've already hosted two this year. Every dollar of support goes right back into the show for us to buy better equipment and software to help produce a better show. If you can't support the show financially but still want to help out, Make sure to like us on all the major social media platforms and share the show with all your friends and family. Links to all the social media accounts are listed in the show notes. To become a Patreon member of Locations Unknown, go to patreon.com slash That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash locations unknown.
1: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who can sneeze with his eyes open, Mike <laughs> Vandabogard. Uh, thank you, Joe, and thank you once again uh, to everyone who's
0: tuned in. We are recording on the eve of Halloween weekend, and for those of you that are only listening, I'm dressed up as uh, Marty McFly from yeah. <laughs> Second Back to the Future, um, Joe uh, he looks like a didn't, high school math teacher. Yeah. I didn't get the memo. <laughs> he didn't get the memo. I didn't get the memo. I'm wearing a flannel shirt. <laughs> um, <laughs> so don't have a lot of updates for you. I'm just going to go through some new Patreon shout outs here. Uh, Shannon, uh, Berentes, Carissa Wheeler, Angie Sharp, uh, secret Crushung, And this person actually emailed me and said that was their legal name. So pretty, uh, interesting, interesting name and, uh, Rebecca Lange. So. Thank you uh, again for supporting the show. Every bit of uh, support you guys provide goes right back into the show. Joe is actually thinking about upgrading our uh, video equipment here in the near, not maybe near future. I'm looking at cameras. They're very expensive.
1: They are. That's why we (laughs) haven't done it yet. So I love that they emailed you knowing that they listened to the show and know that we read out names and just (laughs) preempted the (laughs) readout. Like, Hey, this is legitimately my name.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Thank you again for supporting the show. And uh, I mentioned this last time, if uh, you know, Patreon's not your thing, we do have um, YouTube memberships now, which is kind of the same thing as Patreon, but it's on YouTube, and you kind of get all the same benefits, so check it out if you're not on Patreon, but still want to help the show out. And, just before we go, we still do have lots of swag, hats, and cups, and stuff for sale, so um, that's another way you can help the show out.
1: All right, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. November 23rd, 1991. A 17-year-old went elk hunting with some friends in the remote Oregon wilderness. When he failed to meet back up at his car that evening, his friends notified the authorities and the largest search in Oregon's history kicked off. The case went cold for over a year until a grisly discovery was made. Join us this week as we discuss the disappearance of Corey Fay. Badger Creek Wilderness, which is west of the Thai Valley, is about 29,000 acres large. Is that what you say? 29,000 acres large? I guess, the size. Yeah. The size? I don't know. I didn't know how to, how to <laughs> appropriately use English. We'll go with it. Yeah. It's similar to the size of Black, Black Canyon and Gunnison National Park in Colorado. Uh,
0: Black Canyon of the Gunnison. Of the Gunnison It's uh, the weirdest named National Park.
1: That's all right. It sounds cool. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's one of six designated wilderness areas in the Mount Hood National Forest, and is managed by the U.S. Forest Service. We've done a couple that have gone missing in the Fort Hood or Mount Hood National Forest.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to make sure for some of our listeners to mention uh, who
1: managed it. <laughs> who does the the U.S. Forest Service? Yes, are they good at managing it? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it was established in 1984. Uh, And multiple Native American tribes lived within the shadow of Mount Hood, and many of them called the mountain Y-East. Members of the Confederated Tribes of the Grand Ronde and the Confederated Tribe of Warm Springs have traditional hunting and gathering grounds across from the forest where their ancestors collected plants and berries, caught salmon, and hunted deer and elk. Lewis and Clark spotted the mountain on October 18, 1805, as they passed down the Columbia River. Their storied expedition marked a turning point for the entire West, and over the next half-century, settlers built communities near the forest. The Mount Hood National Forest was originally established as the Cascade Range Forest Reserve in 1893. The forest was renamed twice after its establishment as the Cascade Range Forest Reserve, first in 1908, it was changed to the Oregon National Forest, and then in 1924, it became the Mount Hood National Forest.
0: <laughs> so they just couldn't figure that out. Yeah, they'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> I'm sure it'll
1: change a few more times, maybe. Yeah. Mount Hood is a dormant or sleeping volcano with steam constantly spewing from the fumeral areas, meaning this thing can erupt at any time. Yeah, and uh, from what I read, that they some
0: people are more, uh, pretty concerned that um, an eruption could happen
1: Maybe in our lifetimes. That would be terrifying, but also kind of neat. Yeah. I like watching eruptions. Maybe just a small one. Oh, hold on. Is it fumaral? Let's find out if it's fumaral. <laughs> Did I say it right? Let's see. Hold on. Fumeral. Fumarol. You sounded right. I, I sounded right. Fumeral. It's not fume. It's fume. Fumeral. Like fumes. Yeah. So recent eruptions, all which were minor, ha- occurred in 1804, 1853, 1854, 1859, 1865, 1907, and scientists believe that Mount Hood could have a significant eruption within the next 75 years. That is pretty crazy because those are pretty, besides 1804, once you get to the 1850s, yeah. it was every few years, and it kind of spread out a little bit. And nothing since the beginning of the you know 20th century. Yeah, I so. wonder I wonder if there's a pattern to that because it seems like it was like a gap. It was fast. It slowly kind of gets wider and wider and wider. Yeah, I, I wonder know. if we're in like another long spell where we'll have one and then it'll start hitting again. Yeah. So, 11 glaciers grace Mount Hood's peak. Mount Hood is the highest mountain in Oregon and the fourth highest in the string of the Cascade Mountain Range. Volcanoes that stretch from Mount Garibaldi in British Columbia south to Mount Lausanne in Northern California. So this region experiences warm but not really hot and dry summers with no average monthly temperatures above seventy one point six. So it'd say it's cool most year most of the year. Yeah. And according to the Copen climate classification system, <laughs> see that has an umlaut over it. And I know yeah. what that is. The oh is it is it Copen or Kopen? Co Copen, maybe. Copen? Oh like Copenhagen? Yeah. So I know an umlaut does like a rounding of the O. That's what it's supposed to do. But I don't know how you say a round. For those not knowing what that is, it's the two dots. Yeah, it's like a, it's a Swedish thing, right? Yeah, I think so. so. It's like the K-O-P-P-E-N and the O has two <laughs> periods above it. So anyway, uh, they said, according to that classification system, Mount Hood has a warm summer Mediterranean climate.
0: Yeah, from what I looked at from the, the weather of the area, and we've talked about this area before, but... Um, it seems like a pretty pleasant place
1: to hike a lot of the year. Yeah, it's not going to get too hot on you. It stays cooler, and then by the time you're sleeping, you're packed in, so it's not a huge deal. Uh, It doesn't see a ton of rain. Uh, It ranges from 80 inches on the western ridge to 20 inches in the dry eastern lowlands, Uh, so you wouldn't really uh, encounter a lot of wet uh, times when you're out there, which is also nice for hiking because – Camping and hiking in the rain is just terrible.
0: Yeah, we've done it. It sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> but then not having water is also terrible. So yeah. it's <laughs> that one time we didn't have water, and then it rained, we were kind of loving it. Yep. Because we collected rainwater. Uh, so as you said, temps, uh, temps range in the highs from 62 in July, uh, low of 45, to highs of 32, and a low of 22 in December. And December was the coldest <laughs> month. Um, you'll know
0: from this story they do get a, oh, quite so a bit. Oh, so it's like
1: not January, February? Yeah. I feel like, yeah, for us, like, in Midwest, it's like January, February is like bitter, Worst. dry, cold. It's just terrible. Cold and windy. Yeah. It's, um, everything's terrible.
0: They, do can, they can get some decent snowfall, though, as we learned from this story, that may have factored into his disappearance. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't get ahead. I won't.
1: So elevation ranges from 2,100 feet to 6,500 feet at the highest peak, which is Lookout Mountain. Uh, and that is, at the full amount is 6,525. I don't want to leave out that 25 extra feet. Uh, three creeks. Badger, little badger, and tide drain into Badger Creek Wilderness, where slope inclines range from 30 to 70 degrees. Rocks made smooth by glacial activity characterize the upper reaches of Badger Creek, and mountain hemlock dominate all three streams. So some of the animals in the area, uh, you have snowshoe hares, beavers, flying squirrels, coyotes, uh, different types of fox black bears, mountain lions, bobcats, elk, and mule deer. No grizzlies. No grizzlies. No grizzlies. (laughs) Nobody yell at us. Uh, So difficulty in general. There is approximately 55 miles of trails in the wilderness, including Badger Creek Trail, which follows the length of the creek in the wilderness from the western boundary to the steep uh, 2.4-mile Gumjuwak Saddle Trail climbs to the confluence of the four trails, including a spur route that ultimately connects to Badger Creek Trail, and provides a view of Mount Hood to the northeast. From what i looked at, from that all- That doesn't seem like a lot of trails.
0: No, a lot of, the, most of the hiking trails that I found were of the intermediate variety, There were, and there were some easy ones. I didn't really see a ton of hiking, and we'll probably, you know, get messages. Is there climbing at all, or is it is it just hiking trails, and they aren't ultimately I, that difficult? I didn't read a lot. Um, nothing popped up as, you know, like sometimes when you research a park, like Yosemite, climbing- is a major theme of what you can do. I Mm -hmm. didn't get that sense. I'm sure there's probably areas where you can climb. Sure. But it doesn't sound like that's the main focus of this. Yeah, it's not a major destination for it. Yeah, I mean, probably closer to Mount Hood. Okay. uh, No, that makes sense. But, yeah, anyone listening, you know, in the comments, you can if you've hiked this area, let us know what you
1: think of it. Become our local expert. (laughs) We need more of those. Yes. We'll still get yelled at, but it'll be fun to get yelled at less. <laughs> so let's talk about Corey Fay. Corey Fay went missing on November twenty third, nineteen ninety one, at approximately six thirty p.m. Uh, he was seventeen years old, and the clothing he was last seen in. This is uh, more of like gear he had. The what? This is more of like the gear he had. Oh, okay. I couldn't get a description of
0: what he was wearing. Sure. Or I saw a picture of him. He looked like a, you know, like your typical healthy, young, fit seventeen year old guy. Um, no medical
1: conditions that I could okay. research. So he carried a major, an emergency solar blanket, a compass, extra food, ammunition, a small backpack, and a rifle. So he kind of like had all the stuff we always tell people to have so you don't go missing. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so that's not good. Yeah. Uh, he was a student at Jesuit High School in Beaverton, Oregon. And Corey had training in outdoor survival and had hunted in the past. Mm-hmm. So he knew what to do in a case of emergency or if he was ever lost. Um, so in that location, we don't have much information. If he had experienced there, my guess is if he's elk hunting, it's probably not the first time they went out there. Yeah. That's, that's an assumption. Maybe it's a a first new spot, but that is my guess really.
0: Yeah. Everything that I read and, um, you know, just preface this, there was not a ton of information out online about this case. Um, but everything that I was able to read, you know, stated that he, you know, went hunting a lot in this area. He was pretty experienced in outdoor survival and even his family had made comments during the search that they all thought if he got lost, he has the capability to stay alive for an extended period of time. If he had to.
1: Yeah. He had survival gear. He had a gun yep. to protect himself or, you know, worst case scenario, to get food. And if you're elk hunting, I feel like when you elk hunt, that's kind of like another level. It's yeah. a lot harder. It's a bigger animal, especially up in the mountains. You gotta, you gotta gut it. You gotta haul out the meat. Yeah. Um, typically your first time hunters or inexperienced hunters aren't going that level. They'll go deer hunting or like small game type stuff. So I I agree with you. I think he's probably well versed in the area. Yeah. We already say he's well versed in survival. He had decent equipment to live out there for a long period of time. So let's go into the timeline.
0: Yeah. So we'll jump right into the timeline. Um, So like Joe said, he went missing on November 23rd, 1991. He was a, uh, he went, on this hunt with two of his buddies from high school, uh, Mark Maupin, uh, and I don't know if I have the name of the other guy, but so three of them arrived at their hunting spot, uh, which I'm assuming would have been early in the morning, you know, 6, 6.30 a.m., and their plan was to um, split up until 6.30, so at this time of the year at that location, I believe sunset was around 4.30, 4.40 p.m., so their plan was to split up, hunt all day, and then <clears throat> meet back up at the car around 6.30. Um, at least that's what they agreed to. Sure. So this would end up being the last time his friends saw Corey or heard from him back then. They didn't have cell phones. So, and I had no indication that they had any kind of radio communication or anything like that on them. So um, last known sighting of Corey would have been in the morning of the 23rd. So according to reports of that day, the afternoon was cold, and there wasn't, um, you know, they didn't really see any elk, and one of the kids, one of the guys told the investigators that they were in the correct spot, and they've seen elk there lots of times in the past, but um, strangely, there were literally no elk in the area that day, which... um
1: there's some theories around that. Yeah, there's some theories. Uh, well, and that also answers our question. They've been to that area, so they probably scouted that area. If he's saying they knew there's elk yep. there, they, they probably scouted it so they knew where they were going, which I think lends, again, yeah, they split up. That happens when you hunt. You don't yeah. hunt next to people. But if they knew, that, if they said, oh, there's normally this, there's only they probably scouted it, probably yeah. had positions where they wanted to go and were probably familiar with the area.
0: Yeah, and that it's an interesting note that, they made a point to mention they didn't see any elk in the area. Um, I won't go into it in too much detail, but some other theorists in the the missing persons genre, um, you know, the guy who's done all those books, one of his, uh, I guess, connections to a lot of these cases is that the area seems void of wildlife on the day the person goes missing. Mm-hmm. So, you know...
1: You can think of whatever you want to think about. When, if that, I mean, maybe it's just coincidence. I think animals are very intuitive. Maybe I mean, you talk about like um, they've done studies, like dogs will and snakes and stuff. Like several days before an earthquake occurs, will like vacate an area. Yeah, like, they have. They they sense things. So maybe so uh, maybe Bigfoot was rolling
0: through the area. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so all right, it's uh, still the twenty third, and now it's six thirty p.m. The guys got back to their car and. Uh, <clears throat> Corey wasn't there, so he never arrived. There was no evidence that he showed up. So the two other guys um, contacted the sheriff department. So 6:30 p.m., the Wasco County Sheriff's Office uh, became the lead agency in the search for Corey. The SAR mission included helicopters with special special search capabilities. Um, it looked like they had people on horseback. Uh, they also the news article I read made point pointed this out, so it must have been a big deal, that they had seven of the best trained search dogs in the world from the Rocky Mountain Search and Rescue uh, team from Salt Lake City. So uh, that's... They had everything in their favor. Yeah. So that, that's kind of cool. Um, a total of 250 searchers scoured 12 square miles for about 10 days and didn't find a single trace of Corey. Um, one of, uh, the searchers, Bruce Heckelman, he was a local spo- spokesman for the American search dogs, uh, said the following "It is now considered the most expensive search and rescue effort in Oregon. Uh, this was the most massive search conducted in Oregon with more than $500,000 spent. It's really frustrating because you'd think you'd find some clues, but so far no one has. So,
1: yeah, if he's carrying, I mean, when you're carrying a, a rifle out yeah. there, it's, um, it's a heavy, he's got ammunition, stuff like that. So if he fell or like whatever you'd like, you yeah. think you'd find that. You think you'd find something that he had.
0: And you know, I, I've always thought about this when I've gone hunting, if I got lost, you know, I may periodically fire a shot into the sky to create noise. Like yeah. You once. got the
1: rule of threes, right? It's yeah. Three shots and then wait three. That's, that's like when you're lost, that's the thing. It's like threes. If you yeah. do threes and then alternate, it's like boom, 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 pause boom, 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 and, like, very rhythmically, and that's what you're supposed if you have the ammunition to do that. Yeah,
0: you'd obviously want to conserve your, uh, your ammo, but, um, you know, that's something I've always thought about if I ever got lost in northern Wisconsin, and, you know, one of the ways you could try and get found is by just firing your gun off into the air. So uh, the official search was terminated on December 1st, but from what I read, a lot of, the, a lot of volunteers and family members uh, kept searching for weeks, and they actually got the good graces of the sheriff. Um, from what I read, the sheriff's department required the searchers to be certified in search and rescue, but they could continue to do it on their own without, you know, sheriff's officers being out, out there with them. So
1: yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. Cause all you could be like, we're not searching. We're just we're going hiking. hiking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh,
0: the Wasco County Sheriff's office at the time was so perplexed by this disappearance that, and the lack of evidence that they actually called in the FBI for assistance, in kind of helping them determine what happened here, I didn't find any other evidence uh, explaining did the FBI actually show up? did they play a role in the search or the analysis of you know any you know evidence they found? Just but, making
1: an assumption I don't know this, but I'm guessing because yeah. you didn't find something, they probably didn't get involved because what is it typically it's because he was a minor, but it would have to be like a kidnapping case.
0: yeah, I don't want to speak. And get get it wrong, but I'll just say that typically, in most cases, the FBI does not get involved in you know just someone went off into the woods and went missing. Yeah, it's more of uh, abduction cases, sure, like or linked
1: to a serial ki- possible serial killer. Or yeah, like that. stuff like that. Well, It so, just makes me think because there's other cases that are similar to this where they just show up. Yeah, and you wonder it's like okay, what were they working in the area that, that matches out the, east? Exactly. Yeah, so like okay, he disappeared there, and they just showed up without being called. Yeah. Were they working some sort of case that wasn't public knowledge that that disappearance fit the description of? And then for whatever reason, this case, all right, maybe there's no serial killers in the area that they're actively tracking.
0: Yeah. So it's just interesting, you know, who knows, maybe the sheriff does this on all their, you know, cases where they don't have, um, you know, anything to go on. Just maybe they just call them for advice. Who knows? Uh, So the case went cold for almost a full year until September of 1992 uh, two hunters were hunting a ridge 10 miles from the point where Corey was last seen when they found his backpack and rifle. Uh, another searcher found Corey's jacket more than a mile away from his other belongings. Other items found included his hunting license, compass, and other clothing belonging to him. What we'll get I have some questions written out at the end of this kind of that are puzzling, and one of the things they never found were his boots. And this is not the first case we've talked about where the boots aren't found. I believe the Charles McCuller case, your, when you had your famous uh, four-minute segment on the History Channel. Oh, yeah. I don't think they found the boots in that case yep. either.
1: Uh No, that was the one. I thought that was the one where it looked like he melted into his boots. Oh, maybe. And they found, like, parts of bone in the boot. Oh, yeah. And the But nothing else. That was what was weird about it.
0: But we've done other cases where uh, – Certain items are found, but the boots are never found. And boots, unless you've never gone hiking, boots are heavy, clunky. Uh, You know, they're not, e- if, if you just, like, tore them off and threw them onto the ground. Sure. Um, Unless you, like, threw them into a river or a stream, I, I just can't picture boots just disappearing. You know? Yep. It's not like an animal is going to come and eat them. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, that's just interesting. And well, well get
1: I wonder if they're leather, if the will chew on leather, but they won't consume it all the way.
0: But you'd still find, like, yeah, the rubber it. sole. I mean, it, and yeah. it's only been November to September. You know, that's not a that long of a time period. But we'll get into some of the weird questions I have on this case at the end. So the hunters notified the authorities that they found all this stuff. Um, and so a little more detail on kind of where his items were found. His items were located in an elevation of 6,500 feet, and ten miles from where he was last seen, so um, another kind of. So that's not to say he didn't um, hike up, you know, the side of the mountain ten miles away from where their car was. But it, it's just a little unusual when you hear the conditions he would have had to hike in. Sure. <laughs> so a quarter mile from his backpack, searchers found a small found small bone fragments and one tooth. This would turn out to be the only evidence of Corey's actual remains that they would find. They never found a skull, you know, bigger bones like a femur or, you know, hip bones or ribs or anything, and one one tooth, not all the teeth, one tooth, which amazingly was enough for the coroner's office to actually identify using the dental, using records. dental records. But I, I'm just kind of, I mean, I guess I understand maybe not finding all the other teeth if, you know, predators,
1: like we said, there's bobcats in the area Mm -hmm. and cougars and black bears. Yeah, I was just looking up what it, uh, the timeline for body decomposition. Yeah. And they're saying it can be three weeks to several years, obviously based on climate, but they're saying tropical climates skeletonization, so like where everything is just down to skeleton, can occur in weeks, but tundra areas where it's colder can take several years. Yeah, So like there should have been potentially like, Obviously, the bones will be there, mm-hmm. but like even potentially some like skin remnant and things like Not that. Like, have that mummified. Like, yeah, almost. Dried out. Yeah, with the, Not with to the, get too grizzly. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, with the cooler temperatures, it never gets hot. Yeah. Uh, especially when winter hits, it's going to almost, you know, embalm them naturally. The only like, thing
0: I can think of is maybe one of the cats dragged the remains off into an area that wasn't searched. Okay. I mean, that's possible.
1: Yep. I mean and that's why maybe you're finding it scattered yeah. type of thing. And
0: maybe they just unfortunately that was the only two pieces of you know remains they found. Yeah. Um but either way it's just kind of interesting. I think we did we ever do the episode on the the kid where his dad only found a tooth in his skull cap? Um
1: No, the one that I feel like is closest the one is one where the FBI seemed shady in it and it showed his dad the skull that and. That wasn't oh. the same one. I think that's the one you might be thinking of. Remember, yeah. he said that's not the one that we found on the yeah. ground and it looked like somebody'd swapped it out yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. So I don't know. This again, Go back to all previous episodes. To, I know. Yeah. To <laughs> learn more about that one.
0: Again, this is kind of another commonality we've seen in other cases where, you know, you would think more remains would be in the area and they'd find something bigger, like a, you know, femur or, you know, something like that, but nothing. So, um, So the sheriff stated that Corey would have been in snow up to his waist for more than five miles at the point the discovery was made. So this is what reminds me of the Charles McCuller case. Yeah. One of my questions was, well, I'll get into that.
1: (laughs) Sorry, I keep keep wanting to get into my questions. (laughs) Yeah, just let's finish the timeline, and then we'll get into all the craziness.
0: So an article in the Eugene Register uh, dated September eighteenth, nineteen 1992, reported the following. Authorities know the snow was deep there because a helicopter had spotted tracks during an intensive search for Fay last November. The tracks turned out to be animals, but the snow was almost waist deep, and that was a good three miles from where the items were discovered yesterday. The article later states that searchers didn't believe Fay could have gone as far as he apparently did, An interesting uh, sidelight to this finding is that a September 19, 1992 article In the Eugene Register clearly states that Corey's grandparents told the press that the boy was trained to follow the stream downhill if he ever became lost. So you've got some – now we'll get into some questions here before we get into theories. Um, So he was trained, if he got lost, to go downhill. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't make sense that he would go up. Snow is way steep. I've gone skiing out in the Rockies and skied in some really thick powder that kind of comes up to your, you know, your, like, knees. yeah. And it's really hard to walk in. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't think I could have done it for 100 yards, let alone 5 miles, 10 miles up elevation.
1: Yeah. Like, it's hard walking up elevation without snow. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, I mean, I find it really hard to believe that uh, he would have been able to, you know, hike that far um, in those conditions. But Charles McCullough, again, another case where how far, how many, he went almost 8 miles or? No,
1: it was like, it was like, 13, 13 or 14, or, and he didn't have hiking gear. And weren't there snowdrifts like... Yeah, some of the snowdrifts were up to 20 feet. 20 feet, yeah. So, And he was like in normal clothes. <laughs> yeah. Like he wasn't even prepared to be outside. Yeah.
0: So, all right, we're going to get into... Here's some just questions I had about this case. Um and observations. And you can comment on on them, Joe. I'm sure I will. Um, So the first one was Corey was found 3000 feet higher in elevation than where he was last seen and 10 miles from the point he should have been hunting. Um, Could he have covered that distance and elevation in less than a
1: day in waist deep snow? I, I say no. I don't know how you. I would do it. say ninety ninety five percent of the population couldn't. Yeah. Unless he was some super athlete, but even <laughs> yeah. then, like, why? The why? question is why you leave your gear and you're going uphill through snow. Like, what would cause someone to do that? In mean, hypothermia, potentially. But even then, you'd feel like so. If he had paradoxical undressing. Yeah. I feel like this is an assumption now, and I'll look it up. But I feel like like animals when they're wounded, people, anything when they go to ground. Typically they go downhill. Yeah. Like gravity pulls, you're trying to do things easier, not harder. Mm-hmm. So if you're kind of out of your head, are you going to really go up in a harder direction or are you going to stumble your way down, whatever, where gravity is taking you already? Yeah. And even then, if he's doing that stuff and, and kicking away his clothing items um, where are they? Yeah. So uh, another
0: question observation I had was they never did find Corey's pants, boots or socks. So I, I, it was Charles McCuller. He didn't. There, his boots were never found, um, because a
1: ranger. Um, oh, you're right. It was his sock. Yeah, they found his socks with toe um, bones, bones and stuff in it. That's what it was. I think so were... the connection here for the Charles McCuller
0: case was uh, they never found his boots, and a ranger in that case had stated that he always um, finds boots when he recovers remains from people. So. Uh, you know, he goes. Boots are really heavy. They don't disappear. They don't disintegrate quickly. I mean, over a hundred years they would, but not a year. Sure. So it's very strange that, you know, his pants were never found. Which, you know, maybe animals would shred up. You know, if he was wearing like jeans or something, animals would probably shred that up and use it for nesting over the course of a year.
1: Yeah, I think you'd. St- but over a year, I still feel like you'd find you'd be able to tell they were jeans. You know I what mean, I mean? The le- the yeah, they <clears> might be ripped <throat> up and chewed up, but you'd still be able to tell. Like I've. I've Go been on hiking the, where I see people's like T-shirts yes. in the in the woods, yeah, so, and like pretty tattered, yeah. Or like you'll but find they're still, stuff, there. Yeah, they're still there, yeah. There's still there. plants are growing through them, and yeah, like you can tell they've been there for a while, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, so
0: yeah, that's uh, that's unusual. Um, I, we already talked about this one a little bit, but how the discovery of only bone fragments and one tooth, you know, there there was no, um, you know, skull, ribs, any of the bigger bones, um. And you know, I go on to write, um, you know, even though the sheriff sent 30 people to do a grid search of the ridgeline, uh, searchers never found large bones like, uh, you know, femur, ribs, hip, vertebrae, or anything like that. So obviously, animals could have dragged away the remains to maybe, you know, like maybe a bear took it to its den, or I don't know.
1: Yeah, but I was even looking. So scavenging—it's—it's it's saying after skeletonization. So let's assume it's full skeleton. Yeah. Um, and this is from Wikipedia. If scavenging animals do not destroy or remove the bones, acids in fertile soils may take about 20 years to completely dissolve the skeleton. So okay. what I take from that is maybe it's possible animals can destroy or remove bones. But again, I've come across deer carcasses yeah, that, are, so, that right. are pure, that are like in bogs and in, in peat moss areas, which are supposed to like really preserve yeah. bodies. Um, where it's all skeleton. You can tell it's been dead for a very long time. Yeah. And all the bones are there. Yeah. Like uh, varmint will eat the antlers of mm-hmm. animals because it's very nutrient rich. Yeah. But typically the bones, like you find them, they're there. Yeah.
0: And I mean, the, the the predators in the area. So, you know, bobcats are pretty small. I I don't know exactly how big they are, but they're not, you know, I don't know that a bobcat's going to be able to drag away a grown adult male.
1: Or even, you know, why would they need to? Or I mean, a cougar,
0: would, I guess, might, you know, drag away a carcass to save it for later. Uh, I, a black bear, probably would just scavenge. Yeah, it's not gonna drag the carcass. So it'll probably just, you know,
1: not to get too graphic or anything, but probably just, you know, feed. Yeah, where wherever it is. where it is. Yeah. If there's no if there's no threat to them, they're gonna do it right there. And I
0: mean, grizzlies have been known to eat, you know, whole chunks of people. Yes. And bone included. But I don't think, you know, black bears are much smaller. Now, um, I, I'm i making the assumption that these are the black bears like we have in Wisconsin, not the kind of black bears where people, they're at the size of grizzlies. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, so like you get out to that area and they're a little bit hardier and bigger because they have to be. Yeah. Versus here, it's, you know, we don't have very remote areas so, in Wisconsin.
0: So, yeah, I'm just making an assumption, listeners, on uh, what black bear means. So, um, Joe can joke and look it up here. I'm gonna so I'm gonna jump into um, some theories that family and media had and then we can, you know, discuss what we think happened. So uh, Kim Faye, Corey's mother, said that she and her family believe that he died of hypothermia after becoming disoriented disorientated and, you know, started walking uphill in the snow area. Disoriented? Disoriented. Yeah. <laughs> oops. I was doing
1: so good. <laughs> all these simple words. I was reading and I heard him like, did I hear him say disorientated? Yeah. Oops. Um, this theory I can kind
0: of buy, I guess. The only part of it that I don't get is all right, assume he got lost before he started wandering, you know, several miles in waist deep snow. If he's to the point where he's, you know, he's got hypothermia and he's to the point where he's getting delirious because of it, I would say his condition is pretty critical at that point. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So
0: would it, is it logical then someone who's kind of critically hypothermic to be able to walk five or 10 miles up elevation in waist deep snow?
1: Um, 10 miles. See, here's the deal. I think they could go far. That seems a little too far. Like, more like, I think people can do a lot of amazing things. Like, when they're under stress. Under stress, or they get their mind to do it. I mean, that's like, you see that a lot. And like, if somebody has good control of their mind or their body's in autopilot mode, they can do amazing things. I feel like even if he's just going in hypothermic autopilot mode, Mm -hmm. I don't know how the body could physically take that stress. Yeah. Like, regardless. Yeah. Maybe it can. I just feel like no. Odds are it would not. Yeah, And I, if they saw these prints while they were searching, yeah. how did they not find them? They started searching immediately. So even if you're in snow, like you said, there's, if there's fresh powder everywhere, that should help them track. Yeah, They should be very easy to see clothing against the snow surface. You should be able to see the tracks and use that. And from what it sounds like they found it and they thought it was an animal or it turned out to be animal tracks. Okay, so it should be very easy to see if there are other tracks you could search.
0: Yeah, and it, to be able to walk through waist deep snow you're not just going to leave tiny little footprints you're going to be creating like yeah a body sized path you're going to be the plowing snow. the snow with your body basically yeah so i mean i it would be very obvious especially from a helicopter Oh, 100% so i don't know i don't i'm not buying that i i guess uh, i mean hypothermia seems like a logical theory in those conditions lots of snow it's cold out
1: he had a solar blanket yeah so he had the right gear and he had a blanket and when you put those on those are those work. Yeah. They work really good. And why go up? You would go down. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's like I, I would only see like if he's getting really, really cold and starting to shiver, he's got a solar blanket. He has a compass. If yeah. he's trained
0: in outdoor survival, he definitely knows how to use a compass. Yeah. I mean, I, one thing I don't know is if he had any kind of uh, like headlamp or flashlight. So, I mean, they were going to meet back at 630. It would have already been dark by then. It probably would, if he didn't have any kind of flashlight or headlamp, it would have been really hard to navigate. But you would still know if you're going uphill or downhill. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so a um, couple other theories. These are media opinions. Um, one theory was that he may have been accidentally killed by another hunter and buried, but this theory kind of gets blown out of the water right away. It, the searchers had cadaver dogs and never found a grave site. That's not saying that probably couldn't happen. I mean, maybe if he got killed. Well, and you feel like
1: their friends would have heard gunshots or something
0: and in the area. Unless tra- he's like a bow hunter. As tragic as a hunting accident like that would be, if it was unintentional, why would you turn yourself into a criminal by hiding the body? Yeah. When it, a real sad situation when a hunter gets accidentally shot by another hunter, but it's not a criminal event.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, yeah, it's happened in our state. It happens in, in
0: Wisconsin every hunting season. Yep. Um, so why would you then, if you accidentally shot him, would you then bury his body, which now becomes a, a you know, like federal crime? That so doesn't make sense.
1: Playing devil's advocate, uh, I've never accidentally shot somebody. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if you're not in the proper headspace, maybe you'd do something crazy. Yeah. You're just you've like like I, I could imagine I would kind of lose it a little bit if I accidentally killed somebody. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I so mean, and maybe I, you're I'm just already saying, kind of, yeah. So I'm playing devil's advocate on that. Um, yeah. But so- yeah, but no, I agree with you. I feel like in most cases, if that would happen. Yeah. If you actually shot somebody, you'd try and get a hold of authorities, come out, whatever.
0: And what his friends have said, we heard gunshots. Or we heard a gunshot.
1: Yeah. Especially in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent.
0: I mean, that would echo around and, you know, unless his friends were in on it, which that's just a crazy theory. Uh, yeah. I just
1: felt like saying that. Yep.
0: <laughs> um, another theory was that Corey may have survived for quite a long time. Um, and one searcher thought they may have found a campsite with an old fire, but it never was confirmed. And this theory doesn't make sense to me either. Uh, because they had so many searchers in the area. They had helicopters in the air. From everything I read, the conditions for the search were pretty decent. So, um, you know, they had guys on horseback. They had dog. They had the best dog team in the world there. And he had all these helicopters, you know, they would have found him. Yeah. Or I he would have, so. if he would have heard someone talking, he'd f- f- pop around
1: off in the sky with his rifle. I mean, yeah that does for make... if anything I would like lose a little faith in like the people of the party but like having the hunting dogs there or yeah. the the search dogs I think um is really what confuses me the most because it's very fresh yeah you know no we've we've learned about this or had there wasn't a rainfall, yes There's snow, but there's nothing that had washed away the environment or changed the environment drastically from when he went missing to when they began the search, yeah um Uh, Another theory was uh, suicide. So
0: a school friend, Steve Lopez, said Corey had uh, had a bad week in school. uh, After he attended a party, some of the older cool kids didn't uh, like him, and they were mad at him. He was a little down as a result, and he discussed he was feeling down before the hunting trip. Maybe he just wanted to go missing or commit suicide, as Steve said. But we searched uh, from there. We searched for days. We had hundreds of people searching um, we had helicopters with night vision. There was no way that if Corey was alive, uh, that he was not going to be found. Uh, we would have, we would have found him. Um, so I, I'm not, I mean, there wasn't a lot of information on this. He's a high school kid. Everyone in high school got picked on at one time or the other. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was cool the whole time. No, I'm
1: just kidding. <laughs> no, everyone has their bad weeks and bad days. Yeah, I'm not. He was going hunting with friends. Yeah. So, like, yeah, maybe he felt like crap, but, like, it's not like he was a loner and everything was terrible. He's going on a hunting trip.
0: Yeah, and, you know, his family family didn't make any mention of this, and and that's not always, you know, matter. You know, a lot of times people keep this stuff bottled up. Sure. But I didn't see any evidence in the research I did that would point to suicide. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not really, that one's not really, you know, sitting well with me. Uh, we already talked about hypothermia, and the final kind of media th- opinion was a mountain lion attack, but, you know, it goes on, They, you know, they went on to say it doesn't seem plausible that something attacked, killed, and dragged a 17-year-old with his rifle, um, backpack, and other gear, any distance that would equate to him being 10 miles and 3,000 feet of elevation uh, from where he was. It, like we've said in lots of episodes, an animal attack would leave shreds of clothing, tissue, blood, which was not discovered. And he had especially, a rifle with him.
1: Especially against the snow. Like, yeah. even if he was like you, that would be very evident.
0: And he had a, a method of defending himself. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. An animal attack doesn't seem likely. I mean, he could have been attacked by an elk. They're huge and could be de- can be deadly. That's um, so rare. Yeah, they're not like moose that... Uh, you yeah, know.
1: They're, they're skittish. They're, they're going to run away.
0: When I was in Alaska, the people there said they're more afraid of moose than grizzlies because yeah, they're all are, over
1: Anchorage. And, and moose are crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like grizzlies attack when they feel threatened. Or, are or super hungry. Or, yeah, like a moose will attack because moose are jerks. <laughs> like, yeah, the, a, f- a the, friend, a friend of ours, especially in the rut. Like if they're, if they're in like that season, like they're very dangerous. A male moose is extremely dangerous then.
0: Yeah. And I, I guess they have really bad eyesight. A friend of ours that went to college with us that lives up in Alaska, uh, him and his buddies were on a, they do a rafting trip every year and they were out in the middle of nowhere. And this male moose bull moose was walking by. And one of the guys, you know, had a couple drinks in him, took two oars, and put him on his head like antlers. And the moose thought he was another moose. Oh. And it was during rut- rutting season. Oh. So it like, started to walk towards what him. Like, an idiot. Grunting and snorting. <laughs> so this is just one story. But I've heard from people they have oh. terrible eyesight and are pretty dumb.
1: Yeah, when we go up in Boundary Waters, we've, I've heard a couple stories. Like they'll um, get up on a train track, like an oncoming train, and line up and charge it. <laughs> like they get obliterated, obviously. But like. They're just, you know, it's kind of like Didn't
0: you have one swim after you while you were kayaking? Yes. Yeah. I was
1: with <laughs> Jack Berg, the Berg's. I went so Jack and Sam had like their father-son trip and then they yeah. invited me, which is hilarious because <laughs> I'm not related to them. But we were in a boat and we were coming around a bend to do a portage and they graze underwater. They yeah. eat seaweed and stuff. Um, so like it must have been underwater. We didn't see it. We so we get off the boat, I jump on land and and Jack paddled maybe 10 feet offshore, not a big deal. Yeah. But this thing comes up out of the water across, like, probably 50 to 75 yards across this lake, but it's, like, this circle area. Yeah. And it just started charging (laughs) on the land around the thing. It was, like, taking trees out. And I ran, and I jumped from the beach into the boat. (laughs) And I don't know how far... It it may have been only, like, five or six feet, but I had a backpack on, and I cleared it. Like, pure adrenaline, landed the boat, and I was rowing. It's probably, like, a foot. Oh, it's... (laughs) No, I remember because Jack even said like it was far away and somehow yeah. I made it in the boat like faster than he's ever seen anyone make it in the boat and we were just <laughs> rowing and uh, yeah, Sam and his dad were watching from far away and it was just like wide eyes like oh my God, like it was just, <laughs> it was just ripping trees out of the ground with its antlers. It was, yeah, it was the scariest thing. Uh, we've come across grizzlies and black bear, like that was the most scared I've ever been in the wilderness. A hundred percent. And it, it swam after you. Yeah, it, it, it's. They're, cra- they're relentless. Like they're they're like the away. Terminator of the animal world. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so those are kind of all the theories that the family
1: media had. Uh, Joe, what do you think happened? I, I don't know. This one's so puzzling. Like, it's, it's, this is one of those ones where there isn't really a clear anything. So yeah. like, I think it's clear it was an animal. I, I, it, I think the animal attack is too messy. Mm-hmm. And with snow... It's super easy to track. Yeah. Like, if that happened, that would totally be seen from very far away. Yeah. I don't think it was an animal. Um, With the clothes spread out, see, I don't... It was a year later. That's what stinks. Like, with the gear spread out, it could have been moved by animals. Mm -hmm. But even then, if you're finding all this stuff, you have a general area of where the body should be. Yeah. And they didn't find anything else other than a tooth. What was the other stuff? Bone fragments. Yeah, a couple bone fragments and a tooth. And... Were they positive the bone fragments were human? I didn't read
0: anything that they identified the bone fragments as his, uh, but the tooth was definitely identified as his. Yeah,
1: this is where like pictures like fragment could mean so many things. Mm. Like if it's a, a piece of very identifiable fragment of human bone, sure. Yeah. But if it's just fragments of bone, like I find fragments of bone all the time when I'm hiking. Yeah. Like just dead animals. Like you find little bone, like, oh yeah, that's clearly a bone, but you've no idea what animal it's from. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, the hypothermia thing and maybe like paradoxical undressing, wandering makes sense ish, mm-hmm. but then again, where's the rest of him? Where's where's the other stuff that's not Oops. found? Yeah, all the thing that's not found. Yeah. Um yeah, either it's like perfect storm, all the searches, everything like they're just passing him up or something or you get circle and paranormal mode with like did he see something and it made him freak walk out. up to the mountain? Yeah, freak out, start going uphill for Someone's whatever reason. Him. Yeah. Like what what
0: what is it? What, what could it be? Yeah. No, it's puzzling. I you know, I mean if they had not found any of his gear, I would say maybe he left the search area. But we know he was in the search area cuz they found a bunch yep. of his stuff. Yeah. And they found a tooth and maybe bone fragments from him. So, was he was he on the tail of an elk? going up the mountain before something happened like he was but, maybe f- but then left his gun yeah they see that doesn't but make that's sense like yeah
1: why are you tracking uphill without your stuff like because what it sounds like is they found the backpack and the gun together yeah so that makes me feel like okay he removed those items and went somewhere else so like he took that stuff off because it was weighing him down to get somewhere else so yeah. like did he panic was something freaking like you know this reminds me of um the russian one Oh, Love Pass. Love Pass. Like, yeah. They talk about, like, for whatever reason, these people left the safety of their tents, they left the safety of their gear, everything else, and started going somewhere else for whatever reason. Yeah. And they ended up in all these weird, crazy places, and who knows why. So did he experience something that freaked him out enough where he was not thinking logically? Yeah, I mean, I,
0: it's crazy. I think the, the most plausible explanation is some kind of hypothermia-related Incident, I agree with that. Um, it still
1: doesn't make sense. Like, it's yeah, that's, I agree with that being like that's the most plausible non supernatural, non Bigfoot yeah, or aliens, yeah, exactly. ro- rock people or yeah, getting
0: absorbed into the mountain or yeah. whatever. So I don't know. This one is a, a real puzzling one, and you know it's an older case, and nothing has been found since. What's your
1: crazy supernatural paranormal? <laughs> Ah, uh, Oh boy. No judgment zone. So like just get creative. You know, I'm going to have to go with like a Bigfoot or Sasquatch, some ginormous like creature, scared them and carried them away or something or yeah, scared them or knocked them out or killed them and then was dragging them around. And so is it not amongst the Bigfoot people? The upper Northwest is like a hot spot. I know. I'm sure there's lots of hot spots. Yeah. I, but I, I would feel have to. like, I feel like Oregon and Washington state are like big, Bigfoot hotspots. They're definitely big hotspots
0: for missing persons cases. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably just coincidental that they have all these amazing mountains and places to hike. Um, Yeah, I don't know. That, uh, you know, the paranormal route, (laughs) which we don't normally, we always like to try to find a logical theory. But, I mean, I guess the only other possible theory is maybe some kind of foul play. He came across some crazy person out in the woods. Um. Yeah. But again, they didn't find any evidence of that during the ten-day search. So, and like we
1: said, they searched the he's area. A fit where- Fit seventeen-year-old boy. Yeah, he's they, gonna put up a fight.
0: They and he had a gun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's and they found all of his, most of his gear in the area where they searched. I believe. I mean, they yeah. said they searched twelve square miles, and he was found. His stuff was found ten miles from where he was last seen. So if that's the case, that means uh, the area that was searched is where they eventually found all his stuff, which if there's waist-high snow, doesn't mean anything. It could have been all that stuff was probably buried under the snow when they did the original search. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is all his stuff was still in the search area that was previously searched with dogs and helicopters and horses and all the stuff. Uh, So I don't know. It's almost like he got plucked off the mountain you know before the search and then when it was done they he got dropped back down.
1: That's what it seems like. <laughs> so, yeah, according to the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, <laughs> uh, the the state with the most sightings per population is Washington state. Okay. California, Oregon are on the list. So, yeah, upper northwest. Well, you where know, the most are most sightings are
0: if uh, paranormal is your uh, your cup of tea. I think this one might, you know, be a
1: case for you. I would say either abduction or Bigfoot. If we're going paranormal, <laughs> I'm going to stick I'm with you. I'm with you on, on the plausible is hypothermia. I'm going to stick with plausible either
0: hypothermia
1: or foul play. Yeah, I want to start. I would love to get um, like a search dog expert on to talk about yeah. like because there's got to be a failure rate. Amongst these, even if they're the best in the world, nothing's perfect. So, like, is it possible that even with the manpower and the dogs, it's possible that the body gets overlooked? I'm guessing with that much snow. Yeah, and what happened was, yeah, maybe he had an accident or something. So, he put his stuff down, went somewhere else, had an accident. Yeah. And then the things that were found scattered were quite literally varmint and animals, you know, going after the body and stuff over a year yeah so then they found it scattered out i mean that that's a very reasonable explanation. I mean, maybe
0: that's why they didn't find his pants or boots. Maybe something happened where he started getting hypothermia, started taking some things off, like his
1: backpack, his coat, things like that. but yeah, so like there's like a little like a rock outcropping where maybe he's underneath that right yeah, now, and his, they just didn't find he him. he still
0: that, got his pants and his boots with him,
1: yeah. And I when know. they So maybe he wasn't a cadaver yet when the dogs came out, because I'm assuming they go after smells of decomposition. So mm-hmm. he wasn't dead yet. If but it was maybe, cold
0: and lots of snow, that would probably slow the process down. Exactly. Yeah. Like
1: like maybe he was passed out, not dead. Maybe. But the search dogs would maybe be able to find that. That's still, what I'm saying. Like That's know. that's where I'd love to talk to an expert to be like, hey, there's got to be a failure rate. I, I mean, know. They can't, like, even though it's a dog, it's yeah. not a human being with emotions, but like they're not going to 100% of the time get it perfect.
0: And I, from research and you know comments people have made i think we sometimes maybe tend to overestimate the ability of search dogs and finding that's kind of what I'm, that's, that's
1: kind of what i'm wondering because yeah. you hear the stories of like the cadaver dogs that can do water yeah and that they do find a body that's literally under the water yeah and it's just like holy cow if they yeah. can do that why can't they find yeah why can't you find a it in land in a cave. exactly <laughs> like they're basically fine like smelling the bubbling up of a cadaver from water yeah if it's out in the open you feel like oh it's everywhere. So yeah, maybe they're not as good as you'd expect or like I said sometimes it just it's the perfect storm the way the body is or whatever that, that maybe a dog even the won't conditions, pick
0: up. On like the the direction of the wind. I mean, you know, maybe if they're not if he's in a cave and the wind's not blowing downwind to the dogs, they might not find it. Mm-hmm. If the
1: wind's blowing the other direction blowing See, that, the scent that's, up the mountain. That's why it seems to be We also have the, we have the stories of the dogs who tracked like kidnapped kids. Yeah, like the for miles. Yeah like that were in a car and they're like going down the roads that the car was in you hear that. And then they find them like alive in a barn. And it's just like the dog tracked it for like 10 miles (laughs) and it was driven in a car. And like, they found exactly where it was. It's like, okay, so they can do that. So you just
0: need to get a uh, search and rescue professional that does specializes in uh, search
1: dogs and get them on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I got nothing else, Joe. What about you? I I think that is it. Uh, Thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate all of you for listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, We have the YouTube channel also where you can subscribe and support us financially through YouTube now or through Patreon, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Um, Once again, you don't have to pay. You can always just share it, uh, like our stuff on the socials, share the socials. That always helps. Yep. And just remember, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or just taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time.